theologian nerds out there, that um, the writing style is not like what we might be used to. It's not this uh, very linear, very straight storytelling, but there's a, uh, I, I was reading that it's a lot like links in a chain. So there's lots of going forward and jumping back, and there's a lot of overlap of characters and places and, and events. And it's worked out really well for me because the last time I spoke was a few weeks ago, but it was Acts 7 and I was talking about Stephen being stoned to death by the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem because uh, he, was, he was the first Christian martyr and, and after Jesus, I suppose, he was the first Christian martyr, depending on how you define the first and, and martyr. Um, but that was a few weeks ago. Now, we've been through a whole lot, a lot of other things since then. A few things have happened in Acts since then, but here in Acts 11, Luke refers back to that moment again, and he continues on. Back in chapter 7, Stephen was tragically killed for preaching the gospel in Jerusalem, where, where Jesus' followers had been changing people's lives since that miracle of Pentecost at the beginning of the book. And, uh, and then Luke, in Acts 11, he brings up Stephen again. So I'll try and click this clicker and we'll see what happens. Here we go. So the city at this time was, it was alive with these new followers of Christ. And there were Jews from all over the known world who had made their pilgrimage to Jerusalem. But when Stephen was killed, many fo of those followers, they scattered and they, and they fled the city. And from there... We can now jump ahead to, to, to this, this scripture here, Acts eleven nineteen. if you have your Bibles or your phones. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, or is it Cyrene? went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. And the Lord's hand was, was with them, and a great number of people believed, and they turned to the Lord. And news of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he arrived, he saw what the grace of God had done. He was glad, and he encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. And he was a good man. He was full of the Holy Spirit and full of faith. And a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus and he looked for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. And the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Very interesting little bit there at the end. So the story is moving beyond Jerusalem to these places out east where Saul meets the risen Jesus and places like Antioch, this big port town on a river. It's a very busy cosmopolitan hub. It's a convergence of all these different people from around the area. If you looked at it on a map, uh, this Antioch, there are two Antiochs, so don't get confused, but this Antioch that we're talking about is up the coast from, from Jerusalem. It's um, up past Tyre and Sidon, about nearly 500 k's north. And it's pretty close to Syria, which is, would be Turkey today. Now apparently during that late Hellenistic period and the early Roman period, Antioch's population uh, would have been about 500,000, they estimate. So it's a pretty busy city. Uh, it was the largest, it was the third largest in the Roman Empire after Rome and Alexandria. And what's happening here is, I think, really interesting in Acts 
11, the gospel is it's spreading like wildfire. And it's not this, it's not a highly organized, contained religious mission that's going on. It's, um, it's not being led by important people from the, the church hierarchy. It's this nameless, if we look at the scripture there, it's this nameless group of exiles, people who had been scattered by the persecution. It's people who were, who'd, who'd, who'd gone, who'd left Jerusalem and were sharing this life-changing message of God's love for us. And they were being led by the Holy Spirit. And that's what Barnabas saw. And at first they're speaking to Jews, but then they're not just speaking to Jews. They're, especially in Antioch, they're speaking to Gentiles. They're speaking to people from other cultures. And this thing is huge. Like, it's really hard for us to comprehend right now today. But for this Jewish sect of Messianic people to be going and speaking to non-Jews and including them in their um, gatherings, and it, was, it's, it was really a huge change for them. It was, there's nothing that today that could, you could quite compare. I mean, when the last time we were talking on Acts, um, Emma was, was teaching and she was talking about Peter and his vision of the sheep coming down and that picture and the, um, the interaction with Cornelius, the Roman centurion, and how um, this inclusion of Gentiles was um, such a big thing. I mean, today, yeah, maybe if the Pope had a vision that women could be priests or something and that sudden change happened, it would blow a lot of people's minds and it would make a lot of people uncomfortable, you know, in that, in that particular um, denomination. So, yeah, there's nothing quite that we can really think of today that would really compare. But it's really a mind-blowing thing for a lot of Jews at this time in Acts. I mean, it's, um, yeah, like we're not, today we're not really limited to cultures and genres so much anymore. I can open up my iPhone and listen to some heavy metal and then listen to some folk music and that's okay. You know, like I don't have to swear allegiance to, to one genre. And I can, especially in Auckland, I can walk down the road and I can get pizza or I could get, Pad Thai. So we, we also are like Antioch. We live in this multicultural place that um, everyone, there's a lot of overlap and everyone can be involved in each other's lives. And we know also around the world today that when we think of the Christian church, we think of the, you know, there's the Americans and there's the English and there's um, Nigerian churches and Chinese churches and Swiss churches. So there's no ethnic limitations for people to know Jesus in our minds today. But for this very young, very fresh messianic sect of Judaism, they were still figuring these things out. And so for the apostles, Jesus was this fulfillment of this whole story of the Old Testament, everything the prophets had talked about. He was the son of David. He was this Jewish Messiah. So for the apostles, everything was, was coming from that Jewish identity. And they were coming from this lifetime of, of rules and rituals and... and um, that the you know like that all those things that form their ethnic identity these thousands of years of of beautiful tradition from Moses so letting uncircumcised people join the club was a big question for them and um the word circumcised and uncircumcised comes up a lot next and I'll leave that for someone else to talk about but <laughs> on and on through acts there are these little eruptions of the holy spirit touching the lives of, of those outside the, touching the lives of those outside the in-group. 
And God reaches out to these, these people beyond Israel, beyond the in-group. A couple of weeks ago, Emma was, was talking about that crazy vision of Peter's, and, and he said to God, I haven't eaten anything impure or unclean. But God said to him, don't call anything unclean, which I have made clean. And after that, Peter goes to visit Cornelius, the Gentile Roman centurion, and he's uh, certainly someone that the Jews would have thought of as an enemy. But Cornelius, he's a believer, and, and Peter says to him, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. It's funny, I think for, for those of us, the, I think this is what they call dramatic irony, where we're sort of outside that the biblical story and we're reading the story and we can see all these signs and clues along the way um, where God is saying, you know, I'm for everybody. I'm not just for, 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 for Israel. I'm not just for, for your group. You know, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reach out to everybody. And uh, we can see that for ages. But for, for these guys in the story, they're still, you know, just figuring it out. These little... Um, eruptions of, of, of God touching people outside of the, the chosen group. And that's what's, um, that's what's happening in the Gospels. That's why it's so familiar, I think, because Jesus is always speaking to outsiders. That's the shocking thing, I suppose, about so much of his ministry is he's healing and he's praising these outsiders for their faith. And now we're here in Acts 11 and it's happening in Antioch. And... So this guy Barnabas, he, got, he goes down to check it out. And Barnas, Barnabas, he seems like a really lovely guy. I think he, he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, it says in the book. He's this Jew from the island of Cyprus, and he'd been in Jerusalem. And as we see further on in Acts, he's this key figure in the teaching of the gospel as he journeys with Paul. So this is, this is another moment, I think, of that chain link narrative style where we're introduced to Barnabas and in the weeks to come, as we look further through Acts, we're going to see a whole lot more of him, I think. So Barnabas shows how open-minded and open-hearted he is when he visits Antioch. He goes to this town and, and he, he sees what's... I mean, imagine if you were part of this new movement that has encountered Jesus and the Holy Spirit, and you're in this town in Jerusalem, and you hear that there's something similar going on a few hundred k's up north... And so you, you'd, you'd be wondering, you know, who, who, are these, who are these people up there? Like, are they for real? Are they, are they doing it right? Are they, you might be worrying. Are they, you know, trying to take this beautiful new thing that we've got and are they, are they, are they distorting it or are they getting it right? You'd be, there's those sorts of feelings that come up. So, so Barnabas goes to check it out. But it says, when he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them and he encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. So I think that's that's pretty cool. Like he doesn't he doesn't try and control. He doesn't just step in and try and control this this new faith. He's not worried about you know that so many of these new believers in Antioch are, are Gentiles. He just sees what God is doing through the Spirit and he welcomes it. And that's what I think has really struck me about this this scripture most of all and it's some i think it really speaks to me is to sometimes you just got to look for what god is doing and let it be you know and encourage what god is doing so i think moments like this they 
make it seem more appropriate, I think, that the book isn't called the Acts of Apostles, but the, called the Acts of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And to, to finally summarize that last bit of scripture in Acts 11, Barnabas sees, he sees this new community in Antioch, and he sees that they need to learn more, but there are just too many people for him to teach them by himself. So he goes and he gets Saul, or Paul, this new evangelist who had been one of those persecutors at the stoning of Stephen. So there's the link in the chain again. It's, um, yeah, it's pretty cool. So these, these people who had fled Jerusalem because one of their own had been sown to death by a bunch of zealots, including Paul, are now going to be taught by Paul. <laughs> so it's a pretty crazy thing. Uh, here is, this is the, the first time as well in, that the term Christian pops up in, in the Bible. And they were called Christians for the first time in Antioch. And I think it's, that's, that's, pretty, that's pretty interesting. If you ask someone on the street today what Christianity is, what it looks like, they would probably describe this uh, a Western cultural tradition, um, this religious institution. But here in Antioch, this near eastern town, I think I have a picture of a Roman road to Antioch, and it leads to Rome as well, as they all do. Uh, here in Antioch... Um, this, it's, it's this near eastern town, on, it's, it's in um, what's now Turkey, near Syria, and these groups of new believers are from all over the place, and they, they didn't have big educations, they didn't have qualifications, they didn't have a whole lot of financial backing, but what it does say is that it's, it's in the city of where it's a multi-ethnic community of people in this near eastern town who had encountered the Holy Spirit and were seeking God together. That's crazy. Like when you think of a new religious movement, you generally think that it's they they stay very within boundaries for quite a while first. They stay within their certain rules, within a cultural mold for quite a long time before there's much branching out that happens. But but here it's only been a few years since Jesus. It's only been a, a few years since he uh, rose, I mean, and and already there are these cultural barriers being broken down in Antioch, then there are people being included simply because they believed and repented and it's it's this lot who are first called Christians I think that's pretty crazy this diverse group of people in this new community though and it's all because of the scattering it's all because of um, the 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 persecution this term Christian it was probably also not used with praise a lot of people think so it might have started out as a, as a term of originally as an insult, but to this group who held this radically different belief and this way, a, a different way of life to the culture around them, it, it, would, have been, it would have been really confronting. But uh, who knows? Maybe it, it might have um, started out as a, as a term of a, a, an insult, but, um, but it stuck, and here we are. <laughs> so that's the section of Acts 11 that, that really caught my attention. And I've spoken in the past about how, as Christians, we are pilgrims. And in a sense, I think we're also martyrs. We're on that journey of seeking to become closer to God. And, and we know that it might involve some suffering and some change. But the most important thing is that we can take comfort. We see in scriptures like this that, that we might have... We might have um, we might have seen in our own lives that God is, is with us through suffering and through hardship. But we know that God makes all things work together for our good. 
We know that God became human and Jesus was filled with compassion, it says. He took part in, I mean, the whole thing about the incarnation is, is that God took part in humanity's suffering and he suffered death for us. So he has compassion and he, he has sympathy in the truest sense of the word. In Isaiah it says, In all their distress, he too was distressed, and the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and mercy, he redeemed them. He lifted them up and he carried them. So God goes with us in suffering, and God went with this group when, they, when their, their, their friend was killed in Jerusalem and they had to run for it. And we might not, and when we're suffering like them at the time, we might not see it immediately. But it's through that hardship that God is working in us and around us. You know, we're, we're, we're pilgrims and we, we can't often see far ahead on the road for that um, greatest perspective. But, but there are plenty of times, I think, where we can look at our past and we can look back at a, a tough time and, and we can see what God had been, you know, for them at that time. It's initially the story of this tragic murder. But in the framework of the larger book of Acts, we can see God's divine providence. You know, we can see that he, he's doing something good with it. We can see how he guides this, this horrible situation to spread his good news out of Jerusalem. And it's an, an important question, I think, to ask. If persecution had not happened, would the new believers after Pentecost have just stayed in the city? enjoying the experience because it was pretty amazing there were so many miracles and wonders and encounters in there at the time would they have just stayed where the amazing stuff was happening and where they were comfortable i, I would i think <laughs> so i think that's a really really good question um i don't want to go and say no, no we need suffering but but we 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 need um i think often we, we need a challenge to kick us out of our boredom or our our listlessness don't we so here we are, a relatively diverse bunch of people from different corners of this, this city. And we're also a port town like Antioch, kind of. <laughs> and here we are this morning in a new place. Uh, we might not have suffered like those first followers did in, in Acts, but, we, but, but if you think about the, the cost of leasing property in Auckland, <laughs> there's certainly some gnashing of teeth. Um, yeah, as Victoria said last week, she said, um, she quoted Lloyd, and she said it with anguish, <laughs> that change is here to stay. Change is here to stay. It's hard. Change means, it's, it's tough. Change means letting go. Change is uncomfortable. Change is challenging. And as I wrote that, change is challenging. I saw the word change is in the word challenging, so you can't have a challenge without change. <laughs> Um, they're pretty much the same word, aren't they? Uh, so uh, we're, we're going through a bit of a change. We're going through a big change, and, and it's going to be great for us, all right? It's going to be great. <laughs> it's going to be good. Because in my experience, um, I've struggled the most when, uh, in my spiritual growth anyway, I've struggled the most when I've been bored or when I've been too comfortable. The best thing for spiritual growth is, is a fresh challenge, something dynamic, a bit of a change. And I think that's true for all of us. And I think that's why this little bit of Acts right now is so key for us, right? Because it says 
Those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed travelled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus and Antioch, spreading the word. So I've said that we are pilgrims, and last time when I talked about Stephen, I said that we, in many ways, are martyrs. Maybe we can be exiles as well. You know, exiles know how it feels to be, to be pushed out. They know how it feels uh, to be you know, rejected sometimes. And it's the people who get pushed away and rejected by society that Jesus wants to reach the most, isn't it? He was talking about himself when he, early in the book of Luke, he reads Isaiah. He, rolls, un, he opens up the scroll and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, sight for the blind, and to set the oppressed free. So that's who Jesus wants to reach. And those people are in many ways exiles. They're you know, the ones who are pushed to the margins of society and they're the ones that we want to reach. So here we are. We're all new to this place and in many ways it makes us, I think, because we're also on a journey, we're going through change, it makes us, I think, more hospitable because we're, we're new here, right? You know, some people in life, um, nobody in this room, but some people, they might worry about having, having visitors over, you know, if they've got a really nice house with pristine furniture you know they they might not want anyone to come over and ruin it um, and that's the you know this is the beauty of urban on the move that we don't have any furniture to protect <laughs> um, so anyone's welcome to come and join us and I imagine the community life of Antioch was a bit like that too it's a community which is is uh now this, is, this um, quote here was written by the, the founder of the Lash community for um, people with d disabilities. A community which is growing rich and seeks only to defend its goods and reputation is dying. It has ceased to grow in love. A community is alive when it is poor and its members feel that they have to work together. So that's what I mean. We don't have any furniture to protect. We've just got each other, the important thing. Like us, these, these young communities of believers and acts throughout the book of Acts, all these young communities and the communities that, that Paul writes to in all his letters as well. Actually, now that I think of it, it's funny that there's no letter of Paul to Antioch. It's like maybe they were that good that they didn't need reprimanding. <laughs> but he was there for, with Barnabas teaching them. And all we know from Antioch is that Barnabas saw what the Holy Spirit was doing and he encouraged it. He and Paul taught them, and they taught many groups around the region. But these communities, they were people like us. They were, you know, they were, they were just people who, like us who are seeking God and, and learning together, figuring it out together. And I think that's the most important thing. We, it's important that we hold on to these, these pictures of the early church before the empire got hold of it. <laughs> well, it's, it's important that we hold on to these pictures of the early church. It's this, this family, as Lloyd and Vicky are retiring from being the lead pastors and we move into this community leadership team. It, in many ways, we have always felt that, um, we've always felt like one of those young early churches because I don't, I, I've always found that Lloyd and Vicky have, have never been, they've never liked hierarchy too much. If you've ever been to a, a Welcome to Urban meeting, Lloyd would probably talk about the hierarchy being on its side. And we're a place where everyone gets to play. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, 
And they praised God and enjoyed the favor of all the people. So that's the heart of the church, I think. That's that famous bit from Acts 2. There's more to it there, but that's the heart of the church, I think. So so many of these stories in Acts, they seem to be about getting to the heart of God's purpose for us. And I I know probably every time I preach, I start going on about the heart of things rather than the exterior, but it's really important, Um, the heart of things. Devoting ourselves to fellowship, eating together, praying together. Including each other, nourishing each other, praying with each other. See, the issue of including Gentiles in this new community is such a big deal in Acts. It's um, this complete shift of uh, that Jewish sense of identity, as I said before. But actually, including Gentiles is, is getting back to the heart of God's promise and God's purpose including the Gentiles, is getting back to to Abraham when God said to Abraham, through your offspring, all nations will be blessed. All the way back in Genesis, he said that. It gets to the heart of Isaiah 56 when the prophet says, let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. The sovereign Lord declares, he who gathers the exiles of Israel, I will gather still others to them besides those already gathered. See, there's clues all throughout Scripture for ages. And it gets to the heart of so many moments of Jesus' ministry. The other week when Emma was teaching about um, Peter and the Gentile Roman centurion um, Cornelius, it reminded me of Luke 7. Now, probably important to note it's the same author, and he does lots of little tricky parallel things. So if we go back to the Gospel of Luke chapter 7, Jesus heals a Roman centurion servant, and he says, I've found... I've not found such great faith, even in Israel. And it also reminded me of that strange story, which is in um, the Gospel of Matthew and Mark as well, when Jesus is in the region of Tyre and Sidon, which is actually just down the road from Antioch. And there's a Canaanite woman, this Gentile. She cries out for Jesus to heal her daughter, who's demon-possessed. And it's almost like Jesus is testing her. He's Maybe he's just really tired, but he says... I was sent to only for the, the lost sheep of Israel. But the woman, she really is pushy, and she kneels before him and says, Lord, help me. And he replies, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. But she says, yes, it is, Lord. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. <laughs> so she's that hungry for God. And Jesus sees that, and he says, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. So he sees her heart. He gets to the, gets to the heart of things. These outsiders are they're blessed by God for their great faith, and they don't have the right ethnicity, but they, they have the right heart. And that's what Jesus sees and blesses. And sometimes that's us, you know. Sometimes, I know for me anyway, like we don't feel worthy enough to, to be in church um, or we don't feel worthy enough to be taking part. We think that we're, we're only worth the, the scraps under the table, but, but, but God wants us sitting at the table. That's, that's what, you know, it doesn't, doesn't take much reading of the Gospels to see that God wants us sitting at the table. No matter how, how much we might, you know, how we might look on any particular day or, or what social status, what reputation we might have, God wants our hearts, you know, Gentile or Jew, servant or free, male or female. We're all one in Christ Jesus, Paul says. So, let's be like Antioch. 
we're in this uncomfortable but exciting season. We can take heart that God's Spirit moves in times like this. God's Spirit moves in times like this. Let's, let's be exiles and let's welcome in those who, who have faith but feel that they're not good enough to be included. You know, let's, let's be like Barnabas and let's encourage wherever we see the grace of God moving in other people's lives. Yeah, it's, um, you just never know what might happen. What would have happened if Jesus' followers hadn't scattered from Jerusalem? Maybe in years to come we'll look back at this moment and we'll wonder what would have happened if we hadn't left Ruru Street. What would have happened if we'd stayed there, you know? What, what would have happened? What would we have missed? What would we have missed if we, if we hadn't embraced change? <laughs> if we hadn't taken the risk? So th- that's the question I want to leave you with today. Uh, and I think that's very much a message for, for us as a community, but also I think it really resonates on a more personal level as well. And as we head into ministry time this morning, you might be in a tough time in life. You might be in a, in a transitional phase or you might be facing a challenge or a change. And I think this morning would be such a great opportunity to seek God's presence in that change and seek God's presence in that challenge and, and, and find God's, God's comfort of his presence. I think that would be really cool. So, Lloyd, why don't you come on back up? And um, we'll finish with with worship and, and prayer. Thank you.